We're going to be in Acts 13 today, if you want to go there. Acts 13, starting in verse 46. That's where we'll be this morning. I invite you to go there with me. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and um, the, the host, who's a, a minister, was introducing his co-host for the podcast, and it happened to be her birthday. And so he, he said, and this, this is so silly, but I have not been able to shake this, okay? He, he was introducing her on the podcast, and he's like, hey, yeah, and serendipitously, it's her birthday today. And then he kind of chuckled to himself, and he's like, I don't know if that's serendipitously or sovereignly. Okay. In the chapel, nobody laughed at that either. Apparently, that's a preacher joke. And um, <clears throat> what, he, what he said was, was this just like by chance or by choice? Or was this by God's design, okay, and destiny? And in some ways, that's kind of a question that we're asking about all of life, if you really think about it. Is my life and what happens in my life the result of chance and choice? Or is it the result of design and destiny of God? Another way to think about this question would be, is this the result of my will or God's will? Is what happens in my life the consequence of my own choices, my own desires, or the choices and desires of God, God's will? And I threw this into the sermon, and I realized I didn't really like that, that we probably need to cross out that word my, and we probably need to put our will up there, because if we have free will, if our choices and our desires change things around us, then it's not just mine that influenced me. It's also the choices and desires of everybody else around me, the free will of everyone else. Let me explain this. If, if Deacon, my four-year-old, picks his lace-up shoes instead of his Velcro shoes, who's going to be tying those shoes? Dad, right? So his choice impacts me. Maybe a bigger example of this is that you know, American gas prices that affect all of us can be based on the whims and choices of a Middle Eastern prince. I mean, think about that. So there's this big network where if we have free will and our choices determine things, they determine things for all of us. And so I, one of the, the privileges I had at Camp Highland was that I got to study with the rising senior boys, rising senior boys. And it is an awesome group of guys. And they asked Ted and I, one of our youth ministers who was helping me in the study, just all kinds of really deep questions. And this was one of the questions they asked me. Well, it's like, hey, is it all about what God wants? Or do I really have choice and freedom? And if you think about this long enough, it, it raises the question not only of this life, of what happens to me in this life, but it raises the question of eternal life. Is my eternal life based on what God has decided? or on what I decide. Okay, so as I say that out loud, is it our free will or God's sovereign will, some of you recognize that I am stepping into one of the biggest controversies in the history of Christianity, okay? Um, perhaps nothing has divided Christians more than this question in some ways. And... Um, I'm just stepping right into it. And today I'm going to solve what has puzzled Christianity for 2,000 years. I'm going to solve it in about uh, 20 minutes. So hang tight. No, I'm not going to solve it. But it's a really important question to your faith. And I'm going to try to show how this question actually should matter a lot to you. It's very pastoral. It affects your life in pretty profound ways. I'm going to try to, try to show you that. Now, let me, let me offer, offer one caveat. 
When you talk about God's sovereign will, to what extent he's in control of everything versus our free will, to what extent we are in control of everything. One subcategory or sub-question that comes up has to do with something that's very big in our lives, matters a lot, and that's suffering. Suffering. And how we think about suffering. And here's what I want to say about that today. That is such an important conversation. I'm going to save suffering for its own sermon. That's going to come in a couple weeks. I think generally what I'm going to talk about today is true and applies in the case of suffering, but there's some really important things we got to talk about as it relates to that. So I'm going to table that, come back in a couple weeks. That's going to be mid-July. All right, we're going to start in God's Word. When you deal with a big question that people have thought about in the church for a long time, one of the benefits, I think, of being in, in churches of Christ like Highland is that we're always going to start with God's Word. That's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to draw from. So come with me to Acts 13, verse 46. Let me set the stage here. Paul has just preached in Pisidian Antioch, and um, many people have been converted and compelled by what he has said, but a group of Jews come in, and they start talking back to Paul, and they're saying, hey, everybody, don't listen to this guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So Paul and Barnabas say this. So Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and you don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Okay. All right. Let me just, I'm going to kind of chart this passage out for you because what's happening in this passage and the reason I'm talking about this is as we're going through this series in the book of Acts and we're thinking about fundamental things that are important for us to build on in this well-built series, what you're going to see here in this, you know, just, what is it, four or five verses is that God's will and our free will are just blurred all together, Okay. So let's throw this up on the screen there. Let's start with God's will. Paul says, we had to speak to you first. We have been made to do this so that God's will of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth will happen. Okay, so Paul recognizes what he's doing. He's not doing because he just wants to do it. He's doing because this is God's will for him. God has made him to do this, and it's all a part of fulfilling God's plan or will to do what? Bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So God's will right there. But then you got this. He says to the Jews who are talking back to him, he says, you reject it. What do they reject? The message of Jesus, the gospel. You reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. So did God make them reject it? Doesn't look like it here. Who did it? You did it. You reject this message because you don't think of yourself or eternal life as worthy. So you reject the gospel based on your own decisions about yourself and about eternal life, which is kind of fascinating. That's our free will. And then it says the Gentiles were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and they believed. 
which seems to imply this was their choice. They chose to be glad. They chose to honor the word of the Lord and they chose to believe. Again, our free will, but let's come back here. And then it has that line there at the very end. And this was probably the one that caught your attention like it did catch my attention when I was reading through Acts. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. Some of you are nodding your heads. You're like, yeah, why is that in there? Okay, nobody ever told me about this. What do I do with that? Because that certainly makes it seem like God's will is at work here. So as you look at this, here we have a, a God's will and human free will sandwich. Right? And for us in the modern world, we think, we look at this and we say, something must be wrong here because you can't have both. They don't, they don't go together. Um, surely those things don't fit together. But let me just point out that Paul, who's saying this, and Luke, who's writing it down, apparently neither one of them are troubled by this. To them, it's not a problem. You've got human free will. You've got God's sovereign will. Both are working all the time into eternity. Cool, let's move on. Like they don't stop to, to explain it, right? So why does it trouble us? Why does it trouble us? Okay, now let's, let's do a little history lesson here. About 500 years ago, uh, there was this event called the Protestant Reformation. Have you ever heard of that, the Protestant Reformation? Let me set the stage for the Protestant Reformation. At the time, the Catholic Church was basically the only game in town. You had the Orthodox Church in other parts of the world. We're gonna, we're gonna focus on the West right now because that's what we're most influenced by. The Catholic Church was basically the only game in town. And the Catholic Church had made it all, your whole spiritual life, your whole human existence was about your free will. So your salvation, the blessings in this life and in the future life were entirely based on what you do or don't do. And because of that, what you purchase or don't purchase, we call those indulgences. So like you, you could buy a get out of jail free card basically, okay? And so the, the Catholic church made it entirely about what you do, your salvation is completely based on what you do. So guys like Luther and Calvin, you, you know those names? Calvin's the one from which we get Calvinism. Maybe you've heard of that before. So they look at this and they're like, man, where's the grace in that? Remember last week we talked about this, that we're justified freely by God's grace, meaning you can't earn it, it's just a gift. Where's the grace in what they're talking about? Where's the victory of Jesus Christ, Lord over all things, master of all? Where's the grace in this? And so they swing over here and they say, it's not about human free will. It is about God's sovereign will. And that's what it's all about. Uh, back when my dad was teaching me to drive, uh, I learned to drive on a standard. And uh, not a lot of kids learn to drive on standards these days. They just don't make the next generation like they used to, do they? And, uh, but really, we're trying to build you up, I promise. But anyways, uh, my biggest problem in learning to drive was not this clutch and the standard. My, my biggest problem was turning. And my dad would tell you this if he was here. You know how when you turn a car, you turn the wheel, and then once you get through the turn, you kind of ease up your grip and you let the steering wheel slide through your hand until it reaches 
middle again, straight, and then you grab hold of it and you keep driving. It just happens naturally. You don't even think about it. Well, when you're 16 years old, I would turn that car and letting the wheel just slide through my hands back to center, I couldn't do. I, I just couldn't trust it. So I would turn the wheel and then I would try to turn it back. And what always happens was I would overcorrect. I would overcorrect. Okay. And I give you that example because there were people who looked at what Luther and Calvin were doing and they were like, yeah, the Catholic church was getting it wrong on some things, but I kind of feel like maybe you're overcorrecting in some of these areas. If you're, a, if you're a person who likes to study about this a little bit more, one, one person you could look into is a guy named Molina. And he, he came up with this idea called Molinism, which sounds like a skin condition, but it was... It's basically a way to think through how can you have human free will and, and, and God's sovereign will and those two things work together. And if you wanna study that more, you can. I can't work out all the details today, but here's what I wanna think with you about. What's lost if you lose human free will and what's lost if you lose God's sovereign will for you and me when it gets personal and pastoral? Okay, well, let's think about this. Let's cross out human free will and let's just talk about God's will for a second. Why is God's will, his control over all things, why is that important to us? Well, if God is not in control, then it's really hard to have peace, isn't it? It's really hard to believe things are gonna be okay if he's not in control because there's so much in my life I cannot control, right? There's this famous woman of faith. Her name's Julian of Norwich. And in the 1400s, she said this line, and I have told this line to so many people in crisis before. She said this, she said, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And you can only believe that if you believe God's will will be done. He's in control. Okay. Now, Let's scratch out God's will and let's just talk about our human free will. And it seems risky to scratch out God on a uh, slide. So I didn't think that through entirely, but let's just talk about our human free will for a second. Why is this important? Well, because if we don't have human free will and agency, then we are not motivated to do anything to, to make the world better because it's just all up to God. It's not up to us. And so you remember what Spider-Man has told by his uncle, he says, with great power comes great what? Responsibility. Well, having free will is great power that God has given us. And because we have free will and free choice, we have a responsibility to go and change things. We have that ability. Let me give you an example I saw at camp. There's this cool boy. I think he's a sophomore or freshman in high school. And he's super cool. He could sit with anybody he wants in the lunchroom at camp. And uh, there was this, I was watching as he was walking out with his, his plate of food from the camp cafeteria. And there was this group of little boys, third grade boys, who were so anxious, you know, and um, they're just sitting there just like wondering who's going to sit with them and like barely talking. And this cool high school boy sits with them. Could have sat anywhere, right? Now, if in his mind, he was thinking those kids over there, whatever happens to them is up to God. I'm going to do me, right? Then they wouldn't have that blessing. But he thought, he looked at them and he thought, well, if they're going to be okay, it's going to be because I make them okay. And I go sit with them. Okay, so you see, our free will is really important because without it, we lose purpose in life. You lose God's sovereign will and you lose 
peace. You see how both those things should actually matter a lot to you? You see that? Okay. So Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, he said it like this. We're going to throw this up on the screen. He said that we tend to think that truth is like a single straight line. We tend to think of truth as a single straight line that you can just follow with your eyes to its natural conclusion. He says sometimes truth, to be, to be frank, is like two straight lines that run side by side or parallel to each other. Kind of, and they can even seem to head in opposite directions. And at the same time, both those things can be true. But he said, and you're, you're experiencing this right now, your eye is going to be drawn to one or the other. That it's really hard to look at both at the same time, isn't it? In fact, to look at both at the same time, what you're kind of doing is crossing your eyes a little bit. Your vision's getting a little bit blurry and you're seeing each one of them a little less clearly so that you can see both. He said, it just, it's against human nature to be able to look at both lines at the same time. And he says, this is what's true about God's will and our free will, that both those things can be absolutely true at the same time. How's this the case? You're looking at that and you're like, wouldn't it be better if somebody would just like tie that in a knot? And then I could just look at the knot. Um, how many of you have read the book to your kids if you give a mouse a cookie? How many of you have ever read this book? Well, let's throw this up there on the screen today um, because a couple of you, you're blinking a lot and I can't tell it's because you're sleepy or because um, you were trying to look at both lines at the same time. If you give a mouse a cookie, let's go to the next one here. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. When you give him the milk, he's probably going to ask you for a straw. When he's finished, he'll ask for a napkin. Let's go to the next one. And then he'll want to look in a mirror to make sure he doesn't have a milk mustache. Okay, this just goes on and on again until eventually he's drinking another glass of milk. All right. I think this explains God's will and human free will. Let's move along. All right, are you with me? Okay, no. Here's what I want to say. In this in this example, you, the person providing the milk or the straw or the napkin, you pretty much, you probably, chances are that language is in the book. You know what the mouse is going to do next because you know that mouse pretty well, but you don't know the mouse perfectly, and the mouse could surprise you. All right. But if someone knew each of us perfectly, knew our hearts perfectly, then he could know what we would do if in every situation. And you could still make your own choice and God's will could still be done. Both those things could happen. Now, if you want to talk more about that and that doesn't make sense to you, I understand. <laughs> Come talk to me. Let me give you a story, though, that explains it. I was talking to a preacher not long ago, and he had been called to this youth rally and had been given this passage to preach on, but he had also been given a topic to preach on. And he felt like the passage didn't quite line up with the topic, and so he was torn between preaching the topic and preaching the passage, and he decided he was just going to preach the passage. And so there's this consistent theme running through the whole week of this youth rally. And then he gets up there this week and he just goes off the rails and preaches the passage. And the youth ministers are just pulling their hairs out and I don't blame them, right? That would be really frustrating. But he said afterwards, the strangest thing happened. This girl came up to him, this young girl, he and his wife who, who was there with him came up to both of them. And she just begins to pour her heart out and confess because what he had said convicted her 
about a deep sin in her life. And she just pours it out right there. So the preacher's wife is like, okay, well, let's talk about this. And the two of them start studying. And six weeks later, this girl has repented and she's been baptized and her life is totally transformed and different. And so the, the girl's mom calls that preacher's wife one day. And the preacher's wife's talking to her and she says, you know, I'm just so glad that Susie made the choice to be there that night. I am so glad she made that choice. And her mom said, oh, in this family, we don't believe anything happens by chance. Can both those things be true? Can she choose to be there and God's will be done through that choice? I think so. Which brings us to the big question of eternal life. Did you notice that twice in the Acts 13 passage, it mentions eternal life? And that's what we really, really care about most. And that is, am I going to be saved based off of my choice? Or am I going to be saved off of God's choice, and God's will? Okay, I cannot solve that in three minutes. But... Let me bring you here to a parable that Jesus tells. He tells this parable twice in Luke 14 and in Matthew 22. And the parable is about a, this great banquet, this big feast. And a master of the house is having everybody over to, to his house. He's sent out all these invitations. And so he sends his servants out to tell the people he's invited to come on in, the food's ready. And so they go out there and one by one, the people that have been invited choose to reject the invitation, choose to reject it. The servants come back to the master and they're like, hey, they, they rejected us. And he says, oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. He says this, go out to the roads and to the country lanes and compel them to come in. Not, not those who are originally invited. Now he's talking about everybody. Go out and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you that none of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet and when he ends this parable in Matthew, he adds this, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay, what's God's will here? God's will is that all will be saved, that his house will be full. That is what he desires, according to Jesus, that his house will be full. But apparently, you and I can reject him. We're given that freedom to do it. And if we choose to reject him, we will not enjoy the feast. We won't enjoy it. So one of our seniors in that senior Bible study, he, he asked about this. And he gave the example of the, the guy, you know, deep in the Middle East um, or on more often the deserted island who maybe hasn't heard the, the gospel invitation and hasn't had a chance maybe to accept or reject this. And we could argue about that based on Romans 1, but maybe he hasn't had a chance to accept or reject this. And how is this fair? How is this fair if God gives us freedom that someone might not have all the evidence and, and be presented with the message that they can choose to accept or reject? How is this fair? How is it okay for God to do that? And when I told him, and I wanna tell you all this, if that troubles you about God, remember two things. First is, that you could go and tell them. You could be a servant who goes out and compels them to come in. If you are troubled by what God is doing, 
when it comes to the salvation of the world, you could remember that he has servants and those servants are called to go out and compel them to come in because the banquet is ready. And two, if this troubles you about God and his will, remember that it was his will that led him to send his son who gave himself out of love that all would be saved. So anytime we're calling God to account for being unfair and unrighteous, remember that that same God did not spare his son, but gave him that we might be saved. So I'm thankful for his will. Without it, I would be lost. I would be lost. But this morning, and if you haven't made this for choice, let me press it upon you. You must choose him. You must choose to come to the banquet. It is his will that you would choose him, but he has given you the freedom to choose or not. And I'll tell you, you must choose. And if you haven't, I pray that you will today. Like those young people you saw in the video, we can baptize you in the water behind me. We can do it today. That's, that's your choice and it's God's will. Let me pray for you. God, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you guide us by your will? And may we in our freedom glorify you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.